The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We got a good one on the docket today, folks. It's Tuesday, which means it is yet to be titled mailbag type show with the great Adam King. That's coming up here in just a matter of moments. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. And I am your host, Dan Bespris. I want to dive straight into yesterday's recap. We're going to move through at a pretty good clip because I want to get to the the meaty stuff with Adam here uh, and not sidetrack ourselves too much. Portland was at Philadelphia. They started things off on Monday night. Philly without Joel Embiid, without Tobias Harris, who's now in protocols, still without Ben Simmons, and they lost Danny Green halfway through what was actually turning out to be a really nice ball game for him. And that left them with a whole bunch of Andre Drummond. And that's why he was the handcuff of the century this year. You knew Joel Embiid was going to miss some ball games here and there. Rest days, injuries, whatever. Drummond, hard to roster in head-to-head leagues. I get it, because when Embiid does play, Andre's going to be awful. But the 20 games he misses, line of the night type stuff from Drummond. You get basically like a second rounder that you can plug in for a quarter of your game's in your Roto Games Cap format. When everybody else uh, is out, Seth Curry's going to have a really easy path to high usage or medium usage, high efficiency value. I like Danny Green if he comes back and he plays anytime soon. With It, it was hamstring tightness, so we don't really know what's going on there. Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thibel. I know Thibel's been good enough, and he got four more defensive stats in this ballgame, and the fact that he gets four every game means that his value is going to have a tough time dropping. So he's still at number 74. Maxi is uh, number 116. You guys know I've kind of gotten frustrated and moved on from the Tyrese Maxi stuff. I'm just sort of not into his general stat set. But with everybody out, he has a path, uh, and you can probably go that route on him and maybe even on Thibel as well. It seems like most games they get it done. On the Portland side, Anthony Simons has been playing relatively well. He's hovering right around the edge of the top 100 right now. But he's shooting a, a fairly unsustainable 51% from the field with a bunch of three-pointers. He hasn't missed a free throw yet. Admittedly, he's only taken uh, three so far this year. But he hasn't missed one, so that's something. Norman Powell, very pointsy kind of game. Generally a bit better than that, at least in terms of, like, steals. But uh, good efficiency stuff. Dame still can't make a shot, but he'll get there. And then the front court is just a total mess right now. Rob Covington, only 19 minutes Larry Nance, only 18 minutes, certainly did more with his 18. Cody Zeller, 11. Nurk, 28. I don't really know what the hell Portland's doing right now in the front court, but I do know that it's ugly, and it's hurting everybody, at least for the moment. Uh, Nurk is your more safe play among that group. He's, uh, you know, high defensive stats, good rebounding, not scoring that much this year, but he's at number 85 right now. I don't think he's going to get where near where he was drafted. He was always kind of a high upside, high risk type of play with his injury history as well. Um, but presumably he'll get to do a tiny bit more at some point here. The questions for me more revolve around Nance and Covington. Are they going to just keep playing the power forward minutes together? Are they going to lose the power forward minutes if Simon slides in and pushes everybody else up one slot? Or like, would they run Norman Powell? At power forward, Tony Snell came back, played nine and a half minutes. That now was basically a power forward yesterday. So it's it's a cluster mess. Um, 
you're holding on to pretty much all of those guys. Not all. I shouldn't say all those guys. But you're holding on to pretty much the guys we've talked about on the show in the past. But, you know, Nance is in the hot seat until they figure out how they can actually utilize him. Rocco's in the hot seat. He had a usage rate of two in 19 minutes yesterday. That That's really especially weird. Um, you guys know I didn't have Rob Covington nearly as high this year as past seasons, but he's still someone we we expected to be more in that top 85, top 90 range on a per-game basis, and he's not even close to that right now. Uh, and he's he's just not involved. He didn't take a shot. He had three rebounds and one assist. That's the only reason he had any usage at all, is that someone shot and made a bucket after he almost seems like accidentally just gave them the ball. Spurs Pacers, the only new, uh, news from this ball game would be, well, two pieces, I guess. Malcolm Brogdon expected back for their next game. That's tomorrow. Just in time, TJ McConnell woke himself up in a blowout win. He had 10-10 and 10 with three steals, five of seven shooting. That's the TJ McConnell motor that we've come to know and love. And, you know, with Brogdon coming back, that does put a squeeze on things, especially now with Karis LeVert slowly ramping his minutes up as well. But I'm probably... Sticking by TJ, maybe we could let him resettle once Brogdon's back. But uh, other than that, like if, if you have him, don't drop him just because Brogdon's returning. I think McConnell's starting now to get his wheels a little bit, and that changes his outlook. Kevin Love in protocol. So Jared Allen, Larry Markinen, just a wide open front court for them to exploit. Same with Evan Mobley, uh, 113 points. Uh, I, you know, a lot of guys were pretty good in this game. Ricky Rubio had a tough shooting night, but if that's not the case, then he also would have had a pretty good ball game. Sexton had a tough time shooting, so did Darius Garland, but the, and I guess Markinen did too, but five defensive stats and a couple of threes. I think we can overlook that. Jared Allen finally got some blocks. That was uh, a nice little footnote on the ball game, but no massive surprises here, frankly, on either side. Terry Rozier. Looked like himself for the first game this year. P.J. Washington, 18-4, a steal, two blocks in only 17 minutes. I really hope that's a number that trends up, but you certainly can't dump him. Kelly Oubre is the only guy on the Hornets where you're thinking, maybe it's dump time, but also we could just wait and see if anybody gets hurt in the next three games for them. There's no huge hurry there. Toronto played arguably their best game of the season so far. Beat the Knicks, 113-104. Gary Trent Jr., four more steals in four. 43 minutes he played in this ballgame. Toronto was not effing around. Svi Mikhailiuk got the fill-in start with no Scotty Barnes, and he was actually pretty good, actually. I, I, you know, not what we expected, and you're not picking him up. OG was great. Freddie Van Vliet nearly triple-doubled. The main guys had big games, and that's going to be the formula. Unfortunately, we all figured, hey, with Scotty Barnes out, this is an opportunity for a little bit more Chris Boucher, and in a sense, it went the other way. He only played nine and a half minutes, which is about half of what he had gotten the previous couple of ball games. Didn't really do much with them either, and that maybe is the biggest news, is that he's now gone full passive with Nick Nurse kind of trying to break him a little bit. Well, hang on. I think I told people in our Discord, I'm giving him two more weeks. That's where we're at. He gets four weeks at the front end of the season. It's not that much. Uh, and if things don't trend in the right direction, that's when the guillotine comes down. Nothing of note on the Knicks side. Uh, Washington got Daniel Gafford back in their game in Atlanta. He was fine. Not great. 14 and a half minutes, four, boards, five, or, uh, four points, five boards, three blocks. 
he'll be he'll ramp himself up. That'll take a bit away from Montrez Harrell, who still got 33 minutes last night. And no other news on the Washington side. Atlanta finally got some uh, more consistent performances. Capella better, Bogdan better. Trey, John Collins, they're okay. Cam Reddish, 15, got himself a couple of steals and four free throws, so he's hanging on by a thread right now. And then poor DeAndre Hunter just can't find himself enough to do at this point. So he's very much on the chopping block, I would think. And maybe a lot of you guys have probably already parted. Boston, big first half, bad second half. And then they're talking about who needs to do what during postgame press conferences. Al Horford, great. Jalen Brown, great. Tatum, still not that great so far this year. Marcus Smart came back. He looked good. Dennis Schroeder seems to have a relatively secure role with this team, although his, you know, his fantasy game doesn't always translate perfectly. He's number 80 right now with guys missing time so far. The steals are very high. His threes are higher than usual. But he's scoring. He's getting some assists, and so that makes him someone that you're kind of just still trotting out at least for the short term, see how it all shakes itself out. Denver lost in Memphis, Michael Porter Jr. and Jaron Jackson Jr. Remember on yesterday's pod, I said, I need these guys to have a big ball game, and they each had a great first quarter, and then it just came apart. Michael Porter Jr. stopped making shots. He became less involved after that. I don't know what the hell happened, but his team really didn't do much after the first quarter anyway. And then with JJJ, he got into foul trouble after late in the first and never really shook it. He had nine on three of three shooting early in that ball game. He finished on 11. Just did nothing after the first quarter. Neither of those guys did. Tyus Jones did, though. What? Ah, you're not buying that one. You're not buying that one. Orlando beat Minnesota. The Cole Anthony freight train is coming in at full speed right now, so just keep riding it until the wheels come off. Franz Wagner, breakout ball game. He smells Chuma Okiki coming after him, and so he's cranked his game up another click. At some point, it's going to become a little bit of a logjam for that Orlando team, but they put up a buck 15 here, so that's going to be good fantasy stuff for a lot of guys. When you're scoring a ton in a super high-paced game, they also got a lot of free throws. That hasn't been that common in the early going here. And Minnesota kind of taking a step back after their quick start, and, and such is the long ebb and flow of an NBA season. D'Angelo Russell turned an ankle. He's hurt again, no surprise there. It's always a matter of time with him, and he's not been very good even when he's been playing. We told you not to draft him, blah, blah, blah. Malik Beasley's probably going to get to play enough to have some fantasy value in the short term here with no D'Lo. Uh, Pat Beverly, if he can get healthy, might have an inside track. I know he's in the 60s right now, but it's kind of a limited sample size thing going on for Pat Bev. This is more of an opportunity than what we'd seen so far. And I got a bunch of questions last night about Jared Vanderbilt, who... Had 10 points and 8 rebounds and nothing else. So, nah. I mean, we, we saw them try to run a lot of Vanderbilt and Cat last year, and it jammed up the paint on offense. It just obliterated Minnesota's spacing. I, I don't know if they're going to give it another whirl here. With no d it does switch up the rotations a little bit. I would think they'd prefer to go to Beasley, get a little more punch in that starting five, but we shall see in their upcoming ballgame. And then the Clippers, big come from behind win over the Thunder. They were down nine points with about two minutes to go, and then they just went roaring past them. I think they outscored the Thunder 17-2 to after that, if I'm remembering the score right. Might have been three, 17-3. to 
Shea was good. Giddy was good. And those are probably the only two guys we're ever going to say are good on the Thunder this year. And for the Clippers, Paul George was great. Stellar performance. Bledsoe, bad again. You can go ahead and cut there if you want. Reggie Jackson was bad again. But it's the same story with him every time. 17 shots, even if his shooting just comes back towards the mean a little bit. He should be pushing 20 points a ballgame. He, he should really be kind of this year's Colin Sexton. Meaning a guy that should be able to creep into that 95 range just on the heels of a lot of points. Reggie's going to get fewer steals than Sexton did, but more three-pointers, and he's a better free-throw shooter in general and a worse field goal percent guy. But that's my closest comp to other players that people are going to be like, well, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? The do I guy, I think from the card in general, was Nick Batum. With 14, 8, and 1, two steals, a block, four three-pointers, and they need him to do stuff. Clippers are offensively inept beyond Paul George right now. Luke Kennard has had to step up and hit some shots, trying to earn some of that big contract. But Batum is the well-rounded one. He's the guy that can get you rebounds. He'll He'll... Find his way into some assists in most ball games. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He gets threes. He does it on good percentages. He's a viable nine-cat type of guy in Roto. I added Batum everywhere last night that I could get my paws on him outside of, like, certain head-to-head punt builds. And that's what happened on a relatively large Monday. And before we dive into the mailbag with Adam, I want to remind all you guys, please rate and view the podcast and follow me on Twitter. Those are the two things I need you to do right now. Twitter is at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hit me up if you have any questions about our premium services at HoopBall or you'd like to work with us here at HoopBall, cover a team perhaps. I've been given the go-ahead now, by the way. We need a new host for our Brooklyn Nets podcast, which actually already has a built-in audience behind it. So this is a pretty good spot that, you know, this is a show that was getting, you know, a couple thousand downloads a month for a while, which I know isn't like massive needle moving stuff, but it was a show that was growing uh, and then has mostly been lying dormant for a couple of months. Wanted to make sure with the uh, show hosts that they were officially out, they have confirmed that they are. So if you'd like to host the Brooklyn Nets Hoopball Podcast, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. There's a lot going on with that team. This is a wonderful time to host a Nets show. This is a time where you can build a following, preferably someone who's local to them, but it doesn't have to be because, you know, try to get you in the arena at some point down the line and you'll get to work with hoop balls best and brightest as somebody drops a dumpster on the side of the building here next to me. Um, to me, this is this is like your catbird seat spot going on on the pod right now. And the other recruiting pitch is, And there are already a couple people in the hopper on this one, but if you'd like to get your name in late, we are looking for a full-time host for Today in Sports Betting, our five days a week hoop ball betting podcast. If you fancy yourself a good show host, someone who can ask some questions, has a reasonable understanding of sports betting, hit me up about that one at Dan Vespers on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Get your name in the hat, throw it in the ring, I don't know if you're going to get it. We've got some good candidates in the mix already, but uh, would love to make sure that the pool is expanded enough to where everybody has a shot at it. 
And then, of course, if you have a second to rate and review the pod, uh, you guys know how to do that by now. I've said a number of shows in a row. Search for Fantasy NBA Today on the podcast app on your mobile device or on iTunes. Write something funny. I'll read it on air or don't. I won't. Doesn't matter. We need your help on that. Let's do a mailbag. Returning champion, Adam King, on the pod for our Tuesday. I don't know. What are we calling this? Is this mailbag or do we have a better name for it? Um... I think it's mailbag at this stage. We'll come up with something else. I'm yeah, sure why, of it. why reinvent the wheel, huh? We we could we could try. I tried to do that with the term sleepers, and I, we came up with a few fun names, but uh, no one really had any intention of helping me get them to catch on. So, oh well. Uh, like Smitty's was one, but that was basically just a homage to Matt Smith picking Davis Bertans that year on the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked roughies. People seem to like roughies, like a diamond in the rough. That was clever. Yep. I don't know. Well, so yeah. it's a mailbag. It's a mailbag. Yeah. For now, it's mailbag. It's a mailbag. Anyway, welcome back, man. How you doing? Yeah, good. Um, just yeah, getting up as usual. Um, having a look at the the wacky player rankings <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a fun one. It's I don't don't often sort of actually pay a whole lot of attention to the to the top of the rankings um and there's some odd names there for sure yeah who's um i mean I, I we all know sort of the biggest surprises but in terms of and we've got plenty of mailbag questions to get to but is there anything that's completely blown you away in the top 50 for me it's carmelo anthony in the top 50 right now that of all the insane things that are happening that to me might be the craziest of them all. What's the what do you think is the the nuttiest thing you've seen so far? Uh that's probably up there, but I mean we've seen him we've seen him start well before. Um Yeah, I've but it was like 2012 though. <laughs> yeah, well, well I've grabbed him in, in a, a couple of places and I'm just sort of waiting for it to stop. Um and it will. And then I'll and, and it will. Uh yeah, look, I mean, the names that we, we know of, Miles Bridges has obviously been really good. Uh, Rashawn Holmes has been really good, which which is nice. I'm, I'm really happy to see Holmes up the top there. Um, other than the fact I don't have him on a team. I wish I did, but I don't. You know what the problem is for you? I can tell you what it is. You want to know? Mm-hmm. You're playing with too many hoop ball people. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I, I think I could have had Rashawn Holmes in every single non-hoop ball league that I was in. And that uh, got him in a couple, but not not as many as it should be. Yeah. But you know, we've been banging that drum over here for three and a half years, and people finally figured it out. Although, admittedly, you know, seventy one percent from the field, ninety four percent at the free throw line, <laughs> probably not going to hang on quite that high. But I don't know. You know, it's possible that his scoring is a little bit better this year. Sixteen and ten is not completely insane. I think the no. percentages the percentages are the thing you look at like okay well this is this is where we dial it back but he really does have top 30 potential. He wasn't that far off of him last year. No, 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 I think yeah, top 30 and and it's, it's been injuries a little bit for him but um no, I think top 30 is within reach. Um probably for me that the name that that stands out as as a guy that Maybe we were potentially down on a little bit. Is Demar Derozan? Um, yeah, good point. So far, so he yeah he's at he's at number twenty uh, on a I think I've got this at per game. Do I? Yeah, yeah tw- number twenty on, on in per game, and and I think he was sort of viewed as the the odd not the odd man out on the Bulls, but he was going to be the one that would take the hit. And I think it's it's been Vucevic 
based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, um, it, at least it, on the off on the offensive end, anyway. No, you're not wrong about that. And even like, you know, Zach Levine is pretty close to where he was last year, just in overall numbers. The the usage has gone down a little bit. Uh, free throws have been extraordinary for Levine. I guess that's a possible. That's an area we might point at and say, well, like this is probably not going to quite stick there but a hundred percent yeah DeMar DeRozan better right now with the Bulls than he was as the lead dog in San Antonio and he's been I think maybe the biggest reason why they've gotten off to this great start just because of the way he's fit in his extremely high efficiency he's even hitting a three-pointer a game this year you're right that that's one that is really surprising um and nothing is that crazy for him at the moment other than is he really going to take 19 shots a game all season long and I'm thinking probably not but let's dive into some of the questions we got coming in because you guys hit us with quite a few when I opened up the thread on Twitter last night uh by the way if you'd like to ask us questions for a future and I'm just gonna call it mailbag episode sad though that makes me feel we can't come up with a more clever name uh one of us, myself or Adam, will open up the thread probably Monday evening Pacific time at some point in there or thereabouts. And all you got to do is reply to that thread. We try to ta- we try to approach this and kind of tackle the more broad topics, but it doesn't have to be like, what is your strategy for fantasy? It could be something broad, like just a particular player that might apply to a lot of different fantasy teams, but it's like, look, should I drop Eric Bledsoe for so-and-so? We're probably not going to get to that individual question. You can follow Adam on Twitter at AdamKing91. Easy, A-D-A-M-K-I-N-G-9-1. On Twitter, I am at Dan Bespris. You guys, I've heard me yell at you about that plenty of times, so please do follow the two of us and hit us questions uh, for the next one. Where should we begin? I, I think maybe the one that's been get that get it's had the most play on Twitter, and we've certainly discussed it a little bit here on this podcast, another hoopball podcast. But and I think this this fellow uh, asked the question on last week's mailbag. But you know what? If it's a good question, it's a good question. Doctor Strangelove says, "How many games into the season before you give up on a player and declare this is who he is?" Didn't we talk a little bit about how there's Kind of a, almost a, a bit of a sliding scale when it comes to guys like that, Adam. Yeah, we did. I think we we talked about um, yeah the, the higher they are projected or the higher you have them projected, the longer the leash. So someone who, who you're who you took sort of with the first, I don't know what first three rounds, maybe um, maybe even four rounds, you give them a bit longer than than say someone who you took at pick a hundred or pick a hundred and twenty. Um, it, and it, look, I mean, it's a very relevant question at the moment because we're, what are we, two two weeks into yeah, the season? exactly two, two the, weeks, yeah. Exactly two, yeah. So the, it's, it's a question that's coming up a lot. I'm getting asked that question, exact question is, is how long do I wait? And, and this sort of leans into a little bit to, to punting as well. So people who have gone with a punt build and, and then asking sort of how long do I go before... I start shifting out players or maybe my punt isn't working as I'd wanted it to. When do I change tact or do I, do I do that? Or do I sort of stay the course and, 
and just maybe try and make a couple of trades or um so it's it's a very real all, all of those questions sort of tie in together as what is the right amount of time and and there probably isn't really one answer i don't think it no it, it really depends on your league and and what what the specific question is but I, yeah, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is is a good example, or, or Lillard. How long are you waiting? How long are you giving these guys before you say, "Well, this is who they are now"? I, I don't, I don't know. What What's your answer to that question? It's it really is a good question, and it and it deserves our time. So, with someone like a a Dame, who hasn't really had any situational change to speak of, I, I'm going to say never. That one's, he is never not who he is. Uh, most of the stuff with him is pretty close to where it's been, other than a few, uh, well, obviously the field goal percent is an unmitigated mess right now, high volume 35%. So that coming up by itself is going to add six, seven points to his ledger. He's also not getting to the free throw line as often, which a lot of these guys are going through, particularly the guards are are kind of trying to figure that out. And that's across the board for smaller guys in general. You can see the high free throw dudes right now are pretty much power forwards and centers in the NBA. Um, Anthony Davis is at six. Embiid is at nine. Giannis is at nine. KD is at six. Harden is now finally up over five. But, you know, Luka is at four and change. There's a guy who was basically double that in the past. Um, but I do think that it's going to start evening out. We've already we've already seen it begin to level off a little. And then on the other front, and, and I, we're not going to make excuse, excuses for stuff, but like, look, Dame isn't a 35% shooter. He never has been and he never will be. Now, there is this the abdominal injury rumor that's swirling about him. I don't know. Until we get confirmation on that, I'm basically treating it as a rumor. And it might turn out to be true, because some do. Uh, but also his steals are down. Steals are down by like a half. So there's just all this stuff that needs to sort of level off. Michael Porter Jr., who you brought up, I think was uh, a better example of this. Because his body of work leading up to this season of him being a top 25, top 30 type of guy was effectively one year of basketball. But if if we've seen that... And even if we look at last year and say, well, the field goal percent sticking at 54% while hitting three threes a game, that was probably never going to be a thing for an entire career. It's also pretty safe to say he's not a 35% shooter from the field. He's not 63% at the foul line. So again, do the math on these guys and look at their situation and try to figure out, is, is something fundamentally different other than just being a in a, a brutally cold slump. So I, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's a better answer to the question than I could have then if I had just given a number, it's all about situation. Um, and you know, for Michael Porter Jr., his situation hasn't really changed for Dame. His situation hasn't really changed. So I don't know that there's an amount of time. I would say this is who he is. I think it's kind of indefinite for guys like that. And then, I want to stop monologuing here, but it, it is a good question. Adam, you mentioned, what about guys, and I'll, I'll just throw it back to you before I keep talking, what about those guys that we drafted maybe near 80 or 90 or 100 or something like that? Is there, 
I think the reason they go in that range is because we don't really know what they are at that point. So whatever they are for a few games, that kind of is what they are. Does that, does that good use of words there by me? I know, but what do you what do you think about those later guys? Yeah, they're, they're tricky, uh, and I think it it also depends on. <clears throat> so if you drafted a guy at say pick one twenty. And his first two games really good, and he was putting up top fifty numbers for the first two games. And then he regresses, and he's a top one twenty or a top one hundred player. It, people's memories can be quite short, and so they'll go, "Well, no, this guy should be a top fifty guy. He's now only putting up top one twenty numbers. I'll just get rid of him." But if you drafted him at one twenty, then what were you expecting? Um, and and it's. Again, it, it can depend on, on your format as well. Um, whether you have a streaming spot, that, that's probably another question we had in there somewhere. It's to do with streaming. It, do, you, do you have a, a regular streaming spot? Do you draft with a streaming spot in mind? Or, or is it just something that happens if your team's not performing? So for those later guys, it's the question, and I probably said this last week, the question I asked myself is, if I drop this guy, is he going to come back to haunt me in the playoffs? Someone will pick him up and he'll he'll end up being a top 50 player consistently. And a, a good example of that is is Robert Covington at the moment, um, who I, I don't even know what his ranking is. I, I would assume it's not good. It's not, it's not pretty, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, 171. So... It's it's not good, um, and I think he he actually went scoreless yesterday without even attempting a shot, which is <laughs> that's hard to do. Uh, and and he's a really good example of a player that you probably drafted. Oh, what where was he going? Maybe in the eighties this yeah, year. Yeah, eighties. Um, and he's obviously not performing at that level, but we know he can be a top fifty player. And and a slow start like this is almost right on brand for Covington. He he's often very slow out of the blocks, and then we'll get things going. But um, I, so I wouldn't be dropping a player like him. But I also wouldn't blame someone if they did, um, because he he's just been so bad so far. The defensive numbers aren't great. So it's he's a tricky one because he is somewhat proven. Uh, but then if you're looking at, I don't know, like if you took, um, I'm just sort of going through the rankings here. If you took someone like uh, Joe Ingalls, um, who's, you would have taken him with your last pick, maybe second last pick. He's been okay. He's sort of been probably what you expected, but that that isn't super attractive it's 12 team worthy i I just can't believe you're picking on joe ingles out of everybody there that's it was the first name i saw that seems that (laughs) seems like you're doing damage to yourself over there (laughs) yeah no look that that was just the first name i saw and look joe i mean i've I've got joe ingles on a team and i'm not dropping him because he's giving me sort of what i wanted um i would like his assist numbers to come up that's for sure but oh i was really going for the the nation of origin but yeah (laughs) yes yeah look we're not um, we're not tied to our guys. I'd have to say that Ben Simmons isn't one of our favourite <laughs> uh, products at the moment. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think obviously with those later guys, it, it's it's a much shorter leash. And, and right. it, yeah, it could be a couple of games you give them and then you just move on. Um, but yeah, whereas like with Michael Porter Jr., it's it's 
it's a lot longer. I do worry a little bit about Michael Porter Jr. because I've had an inkling that I know he was signed to a Supermax and the coach is saying the right things. But I don't know, watching them play on the court, it, it's almost like they don't want to pass him the ball. Will Barton is the guy that I always have my eye on. And and I've often seen an, an opportunity for him to get the ball to Porter in a scoring position, and he doesn't. He dribbles away and looks for someone else. I don't know whether that's just me reading too much into it, but it does look like they have an issue with him. I don't I don't. Know or who. it might just be Will Barton isn't. It could just be Will Barton as well. <laughs> yes. Um, it, yeah, so he's a tricky one. But as you said, with Lillard, it's, there, there is, the leash is, is endless, really. Yep. In, indefinite. Indefinite leash. That's the name of today's episode. Um, there was, where was I going to go next? Oh, right. Um, so this one is sort of broad. It's, it's specific in what it's it attacking, but it probably applies to a lot of folks. And uh, this is from Genbai. It says, what to do if you own Zion? First of all, I, I do want to eliminate the ownership thing whenever possible. So I'm going to change it to what to do if you roster Zion because, you know, yeah. you don't own any of these things. Um, I don't have Zion anywhere. Do you have any Zions? Uh, no, I think I have him in a couple of best ball leagues. So I took him, which are, which are points-based points-based formats, um, and I they were early drafts. So they were before we even knew he was injured. Uh, I, I was taking him pretty early in a points format, but I don't have him in any of my um, sort of daily changes or weekly changes leagues. Yeah, so that's the first point here. If you guys are listening to what we do on the pod or reading the things we write at HoopBall, if you're in a category league, you should not have Zion. That's... That was, I mean, that's the simple answer to this question is we told you a hundred ways don't, because he was getting drafted in the second and third round early before we knew about the foot stuff. Uh, now, if you're in a points league, I can't really speak to it because I'm only in one league that's sort of points adjacent. It's extra categories that sort of overvalue volume scores and, and devalue things like percentages a little bit in the process just by making them less of the equation. So what are you doing with Zion now? Don't you kind of just have to squat on him and hope this thing isn't as disastrous as it appears? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't even know who you would get back for him um, if you wanted to trade. I mean, potentially you could do like a Zion for Ben Simmons trade, something like that. Uh, Zion for Kyrie Irving uh, if, if you've got two frustrated managers who are looking to, to move off their uncertain talent. Uh, but <laughs> that's other than that... That's, I, so that's a sell low and a buy lower. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it's... I don't know who would win there. Uh, but if you, if, it was a, if you were trading for, an, for a player who's active and, and actually on the court, oh, I wouldn't think you'd get anything more than a top... I don't think top 70, top 80, maybe. Yeah, that's a best case, I would think. Because those guys in yeah. the 70s and 80s right now are like, uh, Jakob Pertl, I think, is 76. Am I looking yeah. at that? the right board uh, right now? Like, you're not going to get Pertl for him right now. Tyler Harrow's in there. Do you really no. want Matisse Thibel for him? I doubt it. You're probably not targeting that. Mikhail Alexander-Walker, Mike Conley. I don't think you're getting those guys back for Zion right now. 
you might have to go deeper into the woods here. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going through the rankings. Um, and They're weird. Well, I mean, yeah. players who you might be able to try more. Like Wiggins at 99 has some name power. Maybe you could get him yeah. for Zion. Yeah. Could be a rookie who's sort of overperforming. I guess someone like a Chris Duarte who started hot but is probably going to scale back a bit. He's at 87. Potentially, you could could get someone like him. Um, I don't think you'd get like a Gordon Haywood. He, he's at 85. He's been underperforming, obviously. But I don't think you'd give up Gordon Haywood to get Zion. No. And th- so there's uh, this weird gap there of like proven assets that maybe are underperforming a tiny bit mm. or overperforming waiver wire types uh, like a Luke Kennard at 88 who the person with Zion, I don't think they want that. I don't think they want Luke Kennard back or Cody Martin or Anthony Simons or Royce O'Neal or these other guys sitting between 95 and 100. And then, I mean, you know, again, just sort of abandoning ship on the category side of things. If you're going points league in what you're trying to get back, I feel like it even gets harder because all of the guys that are lower in category leagues because of percentages, they're, I mean, that's the reason you can get those guys in category leagues is because they have that sort of knock on them. They don't have it in the points format. I, I don't know what the hell you can get for Zion right now. I feel like you, your only choice is to just sit on it and hope he gets back in the next month, basically, which I think they're, they're reevaluating in two or three weeks. I think was the news yesterday, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I mean, we've seen the video of him working out, and he he doesn't look in game shape. Um, that's probably being being nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's beignet shape. You know, oh, look, I mean, I guess you have to hope that based on the last couple of years, your league should have an IR spot at least one. So that that works in your favour a little bit. Hopefully, you can you can just drop him in there and and wait and see. Um, and but and and in a roto format, obviously you, you just put him on your bench and and wait for um, wait for him to come back. So that that's probably the best case scenario is that you just put him in your IR and cross your fingers and hope that he gets back. What I, I don't think he gets back this month. I wouldn't think November. Um, two to three weeks reevaluation. That doesn't mean he's coming back in two to three weeks. It does uh, not. So I would, yeah, I would think December, best case scenario. Um, and the Pelicans obviously aren't challenging this this year. So who's to say they don't then ramp him up really slowly and do what the Grizzlies did with Jaron Jackson last year and we just don't see Zion until February? Mm. Yeah, it's not insane. It's not insane that things are, things are deteriorating quickly out there. And if that happens, well, JV. Yeah. Will, <laughs> he's the 10th he's the ranked player right now. Yeah, isn't that a glorious thing? Although, I will say, he was a first rounder after the All-Star break last year. So now he's on a run of about 30 games in a row in the first round. And he won't be if Zion does come back. But, I mean, this was always uh, a massive value staring us in the eyes on draft day, especially once we got the Zion news. JV going in near 50 was always kind of crazy because even last year, his value was almost artificially depressed by the fact that he was sitting at like number 85 near the all-star break. Just he didn't block any shots the first half of last year. It was super weird. He was only shooting like 
around the 50% mark where he's at right now, but his free throws were also in the 70s. He's got some stuff that's coming back to earth. No, make no mistake there. But like he went from one team that desperately needed a rebounding big man to another one that desperately needs a rebounding big man. Uh, love me some JV. So um, I want to go to one more sort of big question because we, we did one big one and Zion was a little bit of a smaller mailbag question. I know calling it a mailbag. The reason I don't want to call it a mailbag is because we're not trying to rapid fire do 15 or 20 questions. We're trying to pick the two or three that lead to the, the, the most broad, interesting sort of strategy changing discussions. And uh, this one's from Rye. What's the best way to figure out buy lows and sell highs? I've been comparing current rankings to projections is that the best way? This, I think, is a... I love this question because the answer... I mean, we could do a whole week of shows on this and we'll try to pare it down to the next five to ten minutes or so. But, Adam, I, I, you know, I'll try to count out on one hand all the things that go into it. Number one, um, what, he, what Ryan said. Current rankings is a factor. Number two, projections are a factor. Three, name recognition is a factor. Four... Public perception is a factor, even if it has nothing to do with the numbers that people are seeing. Five, the eye test. Uh, six, where somebody was drafted. There's like, uh, there, there, those six, and I'm sure there are more that I'm just not thinking of because we're recording a show on the fly, but aren't there just like two handfuls worth of things that go into how this actually happens? And it's why, by the way, I get so mad when I do buy low and sell high segments at analysts that sort of half-assed where there's like, oh, this guy's a sell high. But then that doesn't really help because people need to know what can they legitimately target for someone. How do you work on the buy low, sell high uh, spectrum of ideas? What, what's your process there? Uh, it's all of what you said there, really. I mean, I guess the, the starting point is obviously player rankings and projections. So, so this guy is the 20th ranked player. Um, he was projected to be the 60th ranked player. And, and But then you've got to look at, as you said, public perception and name value because he's a top 20 player now, but the perception is that he is not going to be a top 20 player for the rest of the season. So who could I get? Do I go somewhere in the middle? Do I go for a top 40 player? Um, but then it comes down to, to need as well. I mean, you see all these trades that go down and, and on the surface they might look a bit one-sided or, or, or lopsided, but you don't know what stats people need on their team. If you're in a punt build, players' value changes significantly. Uh, and so you might be getting a player that is a top 70 player for a top 40 player, but in your build, he's a top 20 player. Um, so there's all, <laughs> all of that stuff under the surface that, that we can't see, um, that, that only people who are making the trade can see how do you see uh, it in the sky I, my, my weird thing is especially when i'm doing a show about something i try to like kind of visualize it, it almost in my head my wife does this uh with with numbers when she's adding and subtracting or multiplying numbers i can see her eyes go up into the sky like she's writing the numbers across the globe above her and this is kind of what my brain does when i'm thinking about all those factors that you and i have just put out there which is basically like okay you start with current rank so let's just let's take an example of this and say Harrison Barnes who's number 11 right now but his preseason rank was like 95 
might have been later. I think I got I think I got him at like 120 and 30 deep. Uh, so he was somewhere in the 90 to 120 range. With every game he plays, his perceived ability moves farther away from that 110 whatever ADP and moves towards whatever his current rank is. It's never going to get all the way to 11 unless he spent all 82 games, played them all, and he was number 11 the whole way. That Then it finally arrives there. It's like a... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go math nerd stuff for a second here, but it's almost like an asymptote for his value where over an infinite amount of time, but I guess it's not infinite, it's really 82 games, uh, he will approach his actual rank. And our job as folks trying to make the buy low or the sell high trade function is to figure out how far he's moved from his original mark towards where he's at right now. And then compare that to where we actually think he's going to end up at the end of the year. That's what I'm seeing in the clouds above me right now when I'm trying to figure out how to make the pieces fit together. Are you as completely insane as I am, or are you just like, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do some numbers here, friends? <laughs> uh no, I'm probably like you, I think, and and your wife actually by the sounds of things. When my kids ask me maths questions, my eyes go up and I do it all in my head and they say, No, no, we've got to write it all down. You've got to have your working on paper. I'm like, Oh, that's not how I did it at school. <laughs> uh so Show your work. Show your work, Adam. Yeah, show I don't show my work. Um so yeah, for someone like Barnes, who's a good example, uh, that that's very true what you're saying. But I think something else that I immediately thought of when you sort of started rattling off that analogy is that say he is putting up these numbers for 30, 30 games. So he is getting closer. He's sort of then, he's not a top 100 player. He's maybe a top 60 player, top 70 player if he does it for 30 games. If he has two games where he stinks, he falls all the way back really quickly uh, because of he, he because he wasn't perceived as that top top twelve player. Right. Top player. Yeah. So it doesn't. It, it, he might actually go from a from a sell high to a buy low quite quickly because he could be he could be a top sixty player this year. Um, and, and if you're if you've got him, um, then. Yeah, if he has two or three games where he's he just misses all his shots, you go, oh no, here we go. It's starting. He's falling back. All of a sudden, people are throwing these offers at you that are buy low, and you're like, well, do I need to get off him now? Is this is this the end of the run? So it can flip quite quickly with those lower guys. Um, that's just something I, I think to, to keep in mind as well. But I like. I like your mathematical. Um, no, no. What you said, we is. need to include that. We need to include what you said because there's a there's a weight to all of the data we're getting on these guys, and it and it does come down to where. And I think that's probably why someone like a Harrison Barnes or someone drafted that far back, it's just it's like ten times as hard for them to change their perceived value because everybody is just waiting. For the other mm. shoe to drop, like you said, it's like a, it's uh that one's waiting W A I T, but I also meant W E I G H T. There's a weight to what he's doing. Where look, like Malcolm Brogdon at number nineteen, people feel more comfortable readjusting their expectations for him 
not because of anything that he did different than Harrison Barnes, but just because people were more ready to say, oh, well, maybe he really is a couple rounds better than I thought he was, where with Barnes, it's like, nah, I'm not going to, no, I can't, I'm not going to buy it because I haven't seen it happen before. He went way back here at X number on the board, so there's no weight, there's no mass to his moving up the board. It all feels very uh, House of Cards-like with certain guys that it isn't with others, even if, by the way, I could argue that the Malcolm Brogdon stuff is almost is is almost equally House of Cards-y because Brogdon was playing 40 minutes of ball game until he got hurt. And we know damn well that's not going to last for a guy who's dinged up when he plays 32, 33 minutes of ball game. So there's there's there is that weight factor to it that you just brought up, which is another really critical element. Uh, and it I think it brings about that kind of brings the alarm clock part of this into it, where you have a finite amount of time to pull it off. And every single game, you sort of roll the dice a little bit longer, you know? And it's the same thing on the... on the, on the. Love those deep dives. Thanks to Adam, as always. We'll have another one of those for you coming up probably next week. At the very latest, it would be the week after that, but we're trying to do it every week this year. Shout out to the few of you over the last day that did drop a rating or a review on the pod. From Medway J says, appreciate Dan's humor and his knowledge of fantasy basketball, but I'm really grateful for the show keeping it clean. Huh. You got it, man. It's not really on purpose so much as it is I did baseball play-by-play for a decade, and when you do baseball broadcasting, you're just... That's the expectation. Have you ever heard anyone on a baseball broadcast? My, my, the thing I always thought was funny is, you know, baseball, they wear athletic cups. I think most of you guys listening to this show know what I'm talking about, but for the, the handful that don't, baseball players wear uh, a, a plastic cup to protect their private parts so that a baseball coming 100 miles an hour doesn't hit them straight in the junk and render them uh, either badly injured or, or worse. But on a broadcast... They never say it. And so now I've sort of built that into my personality when I'm doing shows. I And I think it's so funny because it happens. It's, oh, I got him in a very sensitive area. <laughs> sensitive area? Like, can we really not say genitals? That's a medical term. My wife would laugh. Doctor wife. What? What? Uh, the thing you can't say. Anyway, um, so you're welcome, Jay. Again, it was never really my intent, but that's just sort of the way that I am, and that's just the way it ended up. I feel quite uncomfortable cursing on a thing that feels like it's going on radio, and I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to break that habit, but it's nice that uh, that some of you guys like it. So anyway, thank you for that. That's uh, that's very kind. Please do the rest of you. Continue to rate and review. Continue to follow me on Twitter. We'll, we'll just keep answering questions out that way, and if you, again, want to grab a hold of one of our open shows here at HoopBall, Hit me up. We'll do what to watch for on Twitter. I want to get the pod wrapped up today because we all got stuff to do. Enjoy your Tuesday, friends. Woof. Show 33 in a row. Done. Wait. Four, five, six. Yeah, three more to go. And then we finally get a two-day break. Oh, my goodness. Well-deserved, if I do say so myself. I'm Dan. Thanks to Adam. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.